Hey, and welcome to the Men Up Podcast. My name is Christian Shabu. I'm George Black. And we have got a really great podcast here for y'all. We're going to do a little bit of a role reversal today, uh, where often I am the host, if you will, of the podcast here. Uh, But today we're going to turn it over to George. He's going to be our host for a majority of the conversation that we're going to have. And it's a conversation really around reflecting a month after on the Kavanaugh hearings uh, and subsequent confirmation and what we can learn from that about manhood, about masculinity, and more importantly, like the system of patriarchy that's at play in our country. So so a lot of deep stuff and a little bit of time, a little bit political. So if you're not into politics, oh well, I'm gonna say you should stick with us because it is important stuff mm. for us to learn as people, as men, as people in a system around patriarchy, and more importantly, as people in the United States of America that will be living with this Supreme Court uh, nominee now for years and years and years to come. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what I'm excited about this episode, mainly because, in all candidness, um, I'm not too into politics in that regard. But I know that what's been happening in the media around Kavanaugh is really, is really important. Um, and so I feel like this is about to be a time for me to ask questions, seek clarity, um, and... And learn a little more because um, I don't I don't know too much about it. But before we get into the Kavanaugh hearings, the confirmation, what we learned from that, we get to reflect a little bit on we just had our Men Up Leadership meeting for October. It was a meeting where we focused what it means to be on brand yeah. uh, with our leadership team. So really, it's about like how are we leading by example, and we focused on our health as men mentally physically, spiritually, how is our health, where are we at, and how can we improve it, and what's the state of men's health. Mm-hmm. And then we just had some great conversation and had new nominees and leadership mm-hmm. team members join the team yesterday. So it was a lot of fun. The team continues to impress me, man. And I really enjoyed uh, welcoming our new member, Oscar, to our team. Uh, but what I really enjoyed was watching the guys ask thoughtful questions and, and seek clarity about things and... Uh, offer some really existential questions uh, that, that, that did not have answers. Um, but it, it was clear that they took the process seriously and they were not content with just letting anyone on our team. And that, I think, really shows their dedication uh, to this work and to, and to their personal growth and to this community that we're building as men. So it was, yeah, I was really impressed with them yesterday. It's a, for me, it was a signal of when you're on the right track with something, right? I think a lot of times you and I are in conversation around men up every week doing this work. I think that there are some moments of, are we, are we doing the right thing? Is this the kind of work we should be doing? Are we going about it the right way? And when we see, or at least for me, when I see the guys taking things like that incredibly seriously and, and putting in their time and effort and doing the work outside of our meetings, yeah. right? We meet with them once a month. And so we were asking them to do preparation for nominating this person and then joining the team and how do we prepare them how do they prepare that person it was affirming for me to be like oh we're on the right track we still have a long way to go a lot of things to grow in but we're on the right track yeah man yeah man yesterday was good we played ninja i don't know if y'all know what ninja is um it is a great game that's what it is but if you don't know there's a video of it on uh the the men up instagram right if you go to the instagram it's a game I learned a long time ago, and I'm so happy that we got a chance to play that yesterday. I lost twice. Christian smacked my hand so hard that it stung for 30 minutes. He was unremorseful. It was hard. I'm not going to say I was unremorseful. I did say I was sorry. It was also in in the realm of the rules of the game. 
Mm-hmm. To smack my entire wrist off. Got it. It was reflex, man. You <laughs> went for my hand, and it was just an immediate reflex. I knew I knew I couldn't be worried about how you were going to get my hand. It was going to be out, but I had to come for yours real quick. Yeah, so. I wasn't thinking ahead. Right. I wasn't thinking ahead. It's I'm, a chess move. Yeah, it, it was. You sacrificed a pawn. Mm. Sometimes. Mm. That's gem, the gems. One of the activities we did was living into our brand, and really what that meant was how our how are we leading by example, right? So it was identifying where is one place that as ambassadors of Men Up, you are either committing, confronting, communicating, or collaborating in a way that lives into what we're trying to do as Men Up, right? And they identified that, and there were some really powerful examples. But what was more powerful was everybody on the team identifying, here's a place where I am coming up short, right? Or I really need to make some change. Right? And we got into conversations around whether it was communication with other people, right? And, and being in a state of communication, particularly as men, when we give solutions or, or are coaching females, right? Or, or folks that come from a place of less power than us to not just simply say, oh, you got this, it's easy, all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, because that doesn't recognize the actual like systems and structures and things that can be barriers and challenges for people to, to really be successful. Those things and also us getting into some deep conversations around like the objectification and, and pornification really of, of women and how that contributes to a society where violence against women, violence against people who are not straight men in the United States, straight white men, like how, how those acts and how that objectification can actually create and, and sustain a culture of, of violence and disempowerment. We were discussing the definition of patriarchy, right? And it was a really powerful moment for me because uh, and when I came into the conversation, uh, you know, me and some other people in the group as well were defining patriarchy as a system that benefits, favors, uh, lifts up uh, straight, cisgender, uh, white men, right? And you, you push back on that a little bit. Not that it's not true, but it's not true everywhere. Right. And that's specifically that's a context that's true in America. Right. Um, and specifically because of our hyper racialized context, culture, history. Um, and so that's true here. But that like patriarchy in and of itself is a system that that benefits men. That was a really powerful nuance for me. Right. Just a, 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 a lens that I think is really important moving forward. What's been really fascinating for me is that. I feel like every time we come together once a month in this conversation with our leadership team, that I am getting better at this work that we're trying to do, right? You and I are working together weekly, right? But it's in those conversations, it's in the challenges back and forth with each other and the understanding and just being in conversation yeah. where I feel like I gain a new understanding, right? And I think that that's, that's a place where we can challenge other men, right? All men to be in conversation with each other and with younger men around these issues and not necessarily looking for answers, but to be in conversation. Yeah. That's such a powerful step yeah. for us when we're trying to transform patriarchy or create a, a manhood that is empowering for all people, that it starts with being in constant conversation, right? And so that's why I really appreciate our leadership team meetings. Obviously working with you, obviously those guys, because I love you all very much, but that just makes me better at this work. Yeah, definitely. All right, y'all, we are about to get into it. And like we said at the top of the show, we're going to do a little bit of a role reversal today. George is, from here on out, going to be in the driver's seat, be the host of the Men Up podcast. But before we do that, even though y'all are going to be listening to this probably on a Thursday or a later, today 
is George Black's birthday. Ah, oh, man. <laughs> it is George's birthday. It is very exciting. Uh, I don't really celebrate my birthday, y'all. There's no reason. Like, I just don't. Well, we're celebrating why. on this podcast. <laughs> Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday. All right, we celebrate it. That's good. Yeah. I'm 32. You are 32. I'm an entire 32. Wow. <laughs> What's one thing you're looking forward to in your 32nd year? Yeah. Um, I feel like this could be a cliche answer, but like I'm really looking forward to traveling more. I feel like my mindset, especially growing up here in New Haven, Connecticut, has been so like tunnel vision, right? Um, and I feel like I'm in a good place in my life. Like I'm stable, financially stable. Um, you know, I have a good circle of friends, good community, good tribe. Um, and I feel like it's time for me to kind of like expand my horizons. I'm going to travel a little bit more. You know, I'm going to Ethiopia in April. Um, so, you know, I'm actually in the process of looking for the best price for that ticket. Uh, yeah. After Ethiopia, would love to go to, uh, Jerusalem. You know? Wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then, um, and I'm, I'm also in the process of doing um, Ancestry.com. Just, or I want, I really want to do BlackAncestry.com uh, to really, like, pinpoint, like, where, not just that I'm from Africa, but, like, where am I from in Africa? Um, and then I think my the third place I'll visit will be, like, wherever that's from. Mm. So, yeah, just doing a little more traveling this year and in and, and subsequent years. Yeah, man. That's what's up. Why... For you, is ancestry is an important thing to start to uncover more and more mm-hmm. as you turn 32, as, as you get more into your years? Why is yeah. that important? I feel like, for the most part, it kind of goes back to this tunnel vision, right? Like, I feel like uh, my story, as I perceived it, has, you know, is connected to my mom, God bless her soul, and my grandma, and my dad, and my uncle and my sister and you know my sister has kids and uh my brother who i love dearly um we should note he's a twin so it's also his birthday today absolutely, too absolutely absolutely he ugly though so it's fine <laughs> <laughs> cut that <laughs> <laughs> no way leaving that in oh he's gonna hear it and hate me <laughs> anyway um yeah i feel like what I've reckoned, so my mom has always been, was in my life, and my mom's side of the family has always been in my life, right? When I think of my family, I think of my mom's side of the family. Uh, I didn't necessarily know my dad growing up, and I don't know a lot of his family. So there's this truth that, like, there's so much of who I am and who I come from that I'm not connected to, right? Um, and that's true for his side of the family, but it's also true for my for my legacy. Like, what whose legacy am I a part of, you know? Like, who... Where, where do I come from, you know? Um, and especially considering, at, like, as a black man, as an African-American in this, in this in this country, I feel like there's so much for me to learn about where I came from. So much of where I came from was intentionally kind of squelched and covered up and uh, not written in the history books, right? And I, I kind of want to push up against that and learn more about me. So, um, yeah. And then also, I feel like legacy is important. And as I work with young people to talk about legacy... I feel like it's important for me to have tapped into mine. Hmm. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. I feel like I've had that pull too, like as I've gotten into my 30s to really understand my background. So so it's interesting too that 
I've always understood because because I did have interactions when I was younger with my dad's side of the family, which was entirely Lebanese. Um, and so I had some grounding in that, but not nearly enough. Yeah. And and don't know much about that part of my existence, right? But also at the same time, I've had to reconcile in the last several years that there are times where I feel like because my experience has been as as a white man, right? Like you look at me like I'm not incredibly dark skin or anything like that. Like I, I am a white man, right? In and that is my experience in our society, right? That like I need to reconcile that even though I do have yep. this background, yep. that my experience has been one of primarily being a white man, right? Like 50% of me might be Middle Eastern, might be of a different descent, but like the reality is my experience has not mm-hmm. been that, right? Mm-hmm. I have faced little to no pushback on the fact that I'm a white man. There, I can count like the handful of times, like three or four of them in my life, where because somebody's figured out that my last name might not be something that came from England, right? Like, or came from Europe somewhere, right? That that they make a joke or they say something. But other than that, like, that's been it, right? And so that's been an interesting thing to reconcile that, like, there's this urge to both understand that background more, but also I need to understand what my place has been in this world yeah. and the way I show up. Yeah. No, that's good. That's really good. It's, it's crazy, right? Because... Yeah, it's so it's so interesting to think about the difference between like race and ethnicity, right? Right? Because like ethnically, like you are half white, half Lebanese. Like that is true, right? Uh, but thinking about race, right? There's like there's there's like markers in the way we show up in the world and it, it's it's interesting to see real ways in which those things are different, right? Um, but I'm also really excited about like what it looks like for you to explore your Lebanese side and to, to get rooted in that. I think that that, that feels like it can be potentially really transformative. Yo, I'm excited for you. When you just said you want to go to Ethiopia and Jerusalem, you have not traveled a lot outside of the United States. So to pick two places that those are not close trips, right? You're not just hopping over the pond to England or to Europe somewhere. Like you're invested in going to some places that are incredibly different experiences than, yeah. as you said, like your tunnel vision of New Haven. So that's really exciting, man. Yeah, man. I feel like, yeah, I, a lot of it is just attached to like my faith and my faith experience and wanting to to ground myself more in that and to experience uh, more of the way that people practice my faith in the world, right? Um, and, and, and realizing that that's, yeah, that my faith is not, not confined to here in the states, right? So, uh, 2.6 billion people practice my faith. Like, there's thousands of ways to think about this thing, and I'm excited to explore some of that. Yeah, there's different ways to understand it. Yeah, definitely. And so, as the person here who doesn't have as much of an understanding as you, you even said that, like, you want to understand politics more, yeah, right? Yeah. We're gonna turn the show over to you, and you're gonna be our host and start asking questions, George Black. I like it. I like it. I like it. Yeah, man. I'm excited. I uh, like I said earlier, politics is not like my realm. Um, I'm not against it, but like it's 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 not something. It's definitely not something that I have. I'm invested as much as you are, right? I've been in small spaces, small conversations. Um, have like seen some things online, some 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 negative comments, some some pushback, but I haven't necessarily been informed about like what the situation is. Could you just give me like a quick synopsis around like what is the Kavanaugh situation? Just give me a little bit about what, like what's going on, what happened, what's going on? 
Because it's, yeah. it's, it's going on. Like, he's elected, right? Like, and that's a problem. Yeah, he is officially a Supreme Court justice. Got it. Yeah. He is officially at this point. And it is likely uh, that he will serve in that role for decades. Yeah, because right? that's he's, what happens with Supreme Court. Uh, it is what happens. And age matters, right? And he's still in the realm of, of a life, right? He's still fairly young. It is likely that he'll serve at least for 20 years, if not 30 or 40, right? As we've seen with with justices, some of the justices that we have on the bench right now who have been justices since the mid 80s and early 90s, right? You think about that, that's that's close to 30 years at this point. So really how this all started was one of the justices, Justice Kennedy, announced his retirement in July, early July. And soon after, about a week later, after Justice Kennedy announced his retirement, President Trump put up his nomination for who he wanted to see go through the process to be the next Supreme Court Justice, and that was Brett Kavanaugh. And from there, the way the process laid out was that over the summer months, over July and August, Kavanaugh, as is normal, meets with senators, many of them, but specifically the senators in the Judiciary Committee, the committee that oversees the the conversations and the initial steps of confirmation for any Supreme Court justice, has one-on-one meetings. And then from there, the confirmation hearings began, and those began in September. Now, here's where the timeline gets really important, right? So, so those hearings began in September, and then we start to understand in the media that around September 16th, um, that's when the first letter, or the first understanding of the letter from Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, who is an accuser uh, of sexual violence, that Brett Kavanaugh um, sexually assaulted her mm. in, in some very specific ways when they were in high school, okay. right? So 35 years previously, right, that, that she comes forward with this story. Now that got revealed in the middle of September, but the reality was, was Dr. Ford sent a letter to the Senate Judiciary Committee during the summer. And nothing was said, it, didn't, it wasn't revealed to the public, right? It came out um, through the Washington Post, it came out in the middle of September. So they knew that the letter was present. They knew what the letter said. They did not address the letter until 16th of September. So, no. So they reportedly, they, they addressed it in the ways that they did behind closed doors. Perceivably, like they had conversations. Got they it. identified whether we want to bring this up or not, when we want to bring it up, if we want to bring it up, all that sort of stuff. And it surfaced because the letter was released through the Washington Post in the middle of September. That's when the public became aware of it. Got it. It's, it is conceivable to think that if the letter was not released in the Washington Post, this would have never come forward, right? And the n- next couple weeks of what happened in the confirmation hearings and the subsequent bringing uh, Kavanaugh back as well as uh, bringing Dr. Blasey Ford up for questioning would have never happened if the letter didn't surface in the Washington Post. Got it. So what happened is the letter surfaces, and then a week later, two more accusers come forward. Uh, these accusers, Deborah Ramirez and Julie Swetnick, came forward, and they accused Brett Kavanaugh of, again, some form of sexual violence, but this was at, um, one was in high school and one was in the college level, in yeah. his college years. And his college years just so happened to be here in New Haven at Yale. Oh. And, and so two more accusers came in, up, and by that point, 
the Senate Judiciary Committee made the moves to say that they were going to bring back uh, Mr. Kavanaugh for further questioning, but also bring forth uh, Dr. Blasey Ford for questioning. Now, they were very specific that they did. They never brought forward Ms. Ramirez or Ms. Swetnick for any questioning. It was only Dr. Blasey Ford. And so the week of the 27th, both Kavanaugh and uh, Dr. Blasey Ford testified. And from there, the Senate Judiciary Committee was supposed to have a vote that weekend. They, the questioning of Kavanaugh and Blasey Ford happened on Thursday. And they were supposed to have a vote Friday and or Saturday. They pushed it back a week to say that they were going to have a limited scope FBI investigation specifically into the occurrences that happened 35 years ago that Dr. Blasey Ford was alleging against Mr. Kavanaugh. Now those accusations were that they were at a party, there was drinking, and that at one point uh, Mr. Kavanaugh assaulted her in the way of trying to forcibly grope her, silence her, um, and, and take off her clothing. And, and that was what Dr. Blasey Ford alleged. Also that there was another person in the room at the time. Uh, the, the Senate Judiciary Committee never questioned that man. Uh, they only questioned Blasey Ford and Mr. Kavanaugh. The last piece is that the limited scope FBI investigation lasted one week. Those whatever the findings were from that investigation were have not been released to the public but was released to the senate they reviewed uh, the findings and then eventually had a vote um, the following week so it was pushed back the voting was pushed back one week um, and as such the vote it confirmed brett kavanaugh uh, to become the next Supreme Court mm. Justice for the United States of America. And so he is currently a Supreme Court Justice serving on the court now. So there has not just been anger about this or disappointment. There's been anger and fear, right? Specifically from women, right? Who see this as not just an unfortunate event or like this... Oh, well, men, there go men being in power. But, like, there's actual a feeling of, like, a lack of safety for women. I have my own thoughts, but share with me why you think that is, like, what that's about. Yeah. So, I mean, it's absolutely imperative that we say to really get an answer from this, we would have to talk to women, yeah. right, that are concerned. Yeah. I can tell you what I've observed, but ultimately we'd probably want to follow up with this podcast, right? And mm -hmm. and have and, and get some women to to be in conversation with us about like where does that fear come from? Yeah. I think there are a couple places. One, there is a fear around that Mr. Kavanaugh has a track record because he for the last decade before this served on the US Court of Appeals in the DC circuit which is essentially identified as like the court that's right underneath the Supreme Court, right? So when you think about the level of importance of courts in our country, the Supreme Court, obviously the highest court in our land, the US Court of Appeals in the DC circuit is like the second. Got it. And so he's been serving there for about 10 years and has a track record both during that time and also in his previous work, which was in the Bush administration. Uh, and then before that he served on the team that was part of the Ken Starr investigation into 
Bill Clinton yeah. back in the late 90s around sexual misconduct allegations that happened back then. He has a track record of not supporting a woman's right to choose and also not being incredibly supportive of women's reproductive health, also not being supportive of health care for as many people as possible. And so I think that that's one area of what I've seen of frustration for for women is that this Supreme Court justice, this man, does not seem to be in favor of of laws, systems, and structures that would support just the basic care mm-hmm. for women or the mm-hmm. basic choice or, or the equity for women. Got it. I think that that's one place. I think also another place was the way in which these proceedings rolled out. It was, from what I understand, for many women, this was a triggering experience. One, it brought up sexual assault and sexual violence experiences that many women have had, right? Because this is a very public hearing. Two was it was reminiscent of an experience that our country had had 20 years earlier with Anita Hill and the accusations against Clarence Thomas at the time of his um, justice appointment and just the incredible unfairness that exists for when women have the courage to come forward and identify that they have been sexually assaulted or been a part of a a system that has made them feel uncomfortable and has allowed a man or multiple men to to treat them in a way that is unfair, that is sexualized, that is demeaning, to have the courage to do that and then have a system that doesn't believe them or, Mm -hmm. or questions their integrity as a person for doing that from the jump. Right. And, and, and this standard that's incredibly unfair. There was this interesting moment, and it was reminiscent of the Anita Hill hearings with the Blasey Ford hearing here, that these women are talking about what are traumatic experiences and doing so in a very public way. They are very clear that this is going to be something nationally televised. And they have to, because they are women, can't show too much emotion, right? right? Because then they are dismissed as, oh, being emotional women, right? But also can't be too reserved because then it's, oh, well, they're disingenuous, right? Because they're too reserved and how could this affect them? They're not showing any emotion, right? All that sort of stuff. So there is this like impossible middle of the road that somehow both of these women, if you watch these these hearings, actually maneuvered it perfectly. Mm. Perfectly, It, it is incredible. And on the flip side, you have men that are, whether they're on the Senate Judiciary Committee, which are almost all white men, uh, with the exception of a few men of color and a few women of color that are all um, Democratic senators. And then Mr. Kavanaugh himself, who is a white man, that get to act however they want. Mm. Emo- like Their emotions can be all over the place. They can cry at one moment, which Mr. Kavanaugh was doing. They can excoriate and yell at the senators another moment. They can be dramatic and, and hype up the, the th- sort of theater of these sort of experiences. And that's totally fine, mm. right? And so it is this incredible, incredible juxtaposition that you're just like, my God, like if this doesn't show you just in these very specific moments that we have captured on TV, just how unfair the system is for women, 
when it comes to things like this, when it comes to systems of power, when it comes to men being called out for things that they have done that is that are problematic at the least or that have been incredibly harmful and destructive to one woman or multiple women's lives. Mm-hmm. And just like the, the, the shit that women have to deal with in that experience is incredibly sad to watch. So you watched the hearings, you saw the... Did you see like what the, the national televised hearings? You saw those. So even that is interesting to note, right? And you think about the way that the system is stacked up against the people who don't have power, right? That Dr. Blasey Ford, uh, her testimony happened in the morning on Thursday, right? Starting at around 10 a.m. I think, and went until like the early afternoon. Now, when you think about the general public who right. has to go to work. Typically, the general public is working on some sort of shift for work that's a nine to five shift. Not all people, clearly, but a good percentage of people that would turn on the TV to watch this would be a nine to five shift. Mm -hmm. Or just people that would be interested in it. Even if you don't watch politics, right? Even if you're not into politics, but you were into this for a lot of reasons and it mattered to you, you're probably working a nine to five job somewhere or, or somewhere within there. Yeah. Her testimony was in the morning. It just so happens that Mr. Kavanaugh's testimony was in the afternoon and went into the early evening, went into like, I think it was six o'clock was when his testimony ended. So even when you think about how the system is rigged in that way, in this case against women, Mm -hmm. right? But in this case, in many cases against the people that don't have power, that's a great example. Same thing happened with Anita Hill. Like her testimony happened earlier in the day. And at the time, Clarence Thomas's testimony happened later in the day when it's likely more people are to see it also right around the time that people are likely to watch their early evening news. What exactly did Kavanaugh say to the accusations? Like what, like how did he respond? But why it's interesting that you said that is because I, I was not about to ask about uh, what Blasey Ford said or, or anything she said. I, in my head, what she said could be summarized as he sexually assaulted me, right? which is unfair. How did he respond? Was it just no? Was it just completely, I, none of that happened, uh, this is all a lie? What, what, was, yeah, what was his response? Over the several weeks that this story came out or, or that this experience happened, his responses changed over time. Now they, they remained the same, which was a strong denial that this ever happened mm-hmm. or could have happened or that he was ever that type of person. And I think that the way that he responded at the very beginning and and the way that he and many men, uh, particularly the straight white men, particularly the men of uh, the United States Senate responded, this could have actually been a powerful moment for us as men. Again, I'm gonna say as straight white men, the people who, who have still a lot of power in this country to do some powerful work. And none, none of those men were going to do any of that work for the greater good. The response could have been, what I constantly kept thinking about, the response could have been this. Yes, I did do that 35 years ago as a teenager, right? And that was wrong. And I've learned over time, and this is how I've learned. Even just saying that, the conversation could have been totally different. But from the jump... It was a strong denial. This could have never happened, right? I am not that kind of person, right? I have always been a great person, which is just, 
I mean, we know that to be true. Like even when I reflect on myself and, and this, I think that's what was interesting for me personally around this is like this moment really made me pause and reflect and say like, okay, have I ever done anything to the extreme or to the extent that is being alleged of Brett Kavanaugh, mm-hmm. right? And and his friends and, 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 a, and a culture of just white young white men being able to do whatever they want and get away with whatever they want. Have I ever done anything to that extreme? No. But have I done things that have created a culture of sexual violence or sexual manipulation? Have I been complicit in, in being in those situations and not saying something or going along with something? Or have I also been complicit in not totally understanding consent at a young age? And, and what does consent look like both for myself, both for whoever I'm engaging with, and for the people around me? And in not understanding it, not being clear about it, have I contributed to this society that allows for sexual violence to happen? Extreme yeah. examples of sexual violence to happen, but also just like examples of sexual violence that happen every day. Have I contributed to that? The answer is yes. Yeah. And it would have been powerful for him or for any of these senators to to say we have at some time as men with power fed into this system of patriarchy that allows us to really do whatever we want and get away with just about anything even when we get called out mm-hmm. and it's a problem and we learned as young men and we've become good people right but instead it was, no, this could have never happened, right? And the place that they ultimately landed, or Mr. Kavanaugh landed and, and several senators and people that supported him was, and even the president, oh, well, we believe Dr. Ford. We believe her story, but it can't possibly be Brett Kavanaugh, which are two ideas that are, you cannot reconcile. You cannot reconcile those two ideas that we can believe this woman and believe that she had some pain and some sexual assault story, but it wasn't this guy. What you're saying is that like, oh, she remembers most of it and we believe most of her to be credible, except the one really crucial piece of who the person was. Wow. I know in my life that there have been times where I feel like as a man, part of my privilege is being able to ultimately be like, yeah, X, Y, and Z happened, but I'm still a pretty good dude, right? Or X, Y, and Z happened, but you know, that's that's not really, that's not who I am, you know? Um, I remember a conversation I was having some time ago uh, that has stuck with me, where um, in the middle of it, I had to, I, I was sharing about an experience I had with a woman I was dating, I was with the, the woman I was I was married to at one point, and uh, how my frustration was that I deserve better because I'm a good dude. I'm a good dude. I'm a good dude. I'm a good dude. Yeah. And just thinking about how saying that, right, uh, one, feels like such a privilege, right? But also just erases pain or suffering or things that I'm responsible for, right? Because ultimately, right, this even though I did this thing and it it affected people in a powerfully negative way, the real important thing isn't what it what I did and what how it affected people, but rather my focus right now is who who I am, how I'm being perceived, right? And that's the real focus. That's the real issue, right? And I just think about how how that's problematic, how that can be problematic, how in the midst of someone else's pain, I'm more concerned about how. The thing that I did makes me look. Part of what was really interesting, and this is totally 
white, cis, straight, male privilege at play was a lot of the conversation and a lot of the language from Brett Kavanaugh in his hearing, not just uh, in his testimony on that Thursday after Dr. Plazy Ford, but throughout the whole experience was like somehow that he deserved this opportunity, mm-hmm. right? Being a Supreme Court justice, he deserved it because he had in his eyes and probably how he believes worked hard for it, even though he came from privilege to begin with, right? And came from like a great background already and a great lineage that was connected to Yale already and prestige already, but he had somehow worked hard or more importantly had gone through the steps that were told if you hit these milestones, right? You're, you are entitled to whatever the greatness is you want, whatever you want. Like you're entitled to that. Mm. His language like all the time was, was in like, I deserve this or like I am entitled to this. And the reality is, no, you're not. Like as a Supreme Court judge, like this is not something you're entitled to, right? It is, it is supposed to be one of the highest forms of leadership, one of the highest leadership positions that you are not entitled to, that you need to work for. And that ultimately the American people should absolutely have a say in and, and it should be their will of who is there. Now clearly through this process, that was not the case. Right. And clearly with his confirmation, it was confirmation that the system of patriarchy is very much alive and very much in favor of white, straight, privileged men. Mm. So that's one thing to, to note. I'd say that the other thing is, and, and the work that we all need to do as men, is that we have to be willing to, to be vocal and be open about like how have we contributed in small ways, in large ways, all of them significant, whether it was complicit or explicit in a system that allows for sexual violence to be so commonplace. And I can tell you that even in preparing for this podcast, right? Initially, this podcast was was supposed to be just me doing this, partially because you weren't around at the time we were going to record it, right? You were off uh, doing some tremendous work. Part of the preparation that was hard for it was one, it's really hard to talk for 40, 50 minutes straight, at least for me right now. But also part of the challenge for me was like, I'm about to admit on something that maybe lots of people will hear now, but Mm -hmm. certainly will be something that people can hear further in the future. I'm about to admit that I have been complicit and at moments explicit in creating a system that is sexually violent for women, right? And I I have been a part of moments in my teenage years, right? Where really most of it was around consent, right? And not being clear and explicit with consent. There are moments where I can remember whether there was kissing or groping or whatever where it seemed like both of us were into it, right? It, it seemed we'd both come to that space and, and it seemed like from physical cues or emotional cues, I knew I was consenting. Yeah. Can I 100% say that that woman at that time was mm-hmm. consenting? Mm-hmm. I can't. Mm-hmm. Those words weren't uttered. Mm-hmm. And, and we need to be able to have those kind of conversations and admit those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. No, that's real. When the people who are making decisions about what, what they deserve are also in places of power such that they can make decisions about what other people deserve, mm. right? Um, because not everybody has the ability functionally in this country to say what they deserve and what they don't and to, and to actually get that thing 
right? Off of the off of the basis that by their criteria, right, and by the criteria that others in power have told them that they deserve it. But I also remember times in my life when that was that was the basis of my argument. Well, I deserve X. Well, I deserve Y. And part of me believes that that's a human thing. But I wonder to what degree. But I'm I am not closed off to the fact that yeah, there are spaces where that that idea is specifically a man thing. I wanted to to ask about the other two women. Why were the other two women not allowed to do that? Again, I'm not totally sure, yeah. right? I, I can tell you how it was perceived and, and how the stories came out. The Senate knew about the story from Miss Blasey Ford, the accusation from Miss Blasey Ford in the summer, right? They got that letter over the summer. She sent that letter over the summer. And my understanding is, is that Miss Ramirez and Miss Swetnick came out with their stories as a result of Dr. Blasey Ford's letter coming out in the Washington Post mm-hmm, and, right. the, and the story breaking. Right, so my guess is, my guess is, is that the the Senate and the Senate Judiciary Committee probably felt a bit more prepared to actually like understand Miss mm-hmm. Blasey Ford's accusations, and probably just didn't put the time in or mm-hmm. the the necessary due diligence or really want to, for that matter, around Miss Ramirez or Miss Swetnick yeah. to understand if their accusations in their in their terms were credible or not. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is an interesting dynamic in and of itself. Right. Like there's this there seems to be this incredibly high threshold for women's accusations of sexual violence when brought forward that like there's all of these things that have to happen before we believe them. Right. Which is such a problematic thing in and of itself. As a man, what has been your perception of the response that men are giving to this issue? How have you seen men respond where do you want to call us to respond? Because this was such a politicized experience, mm-hmm. it seems that much of the response comes from political ideology. The men that I've heard, whether it's the media, whether it's through Instagram, whether it's just guys I interact with day in, day out, it seems like their understanding of this story by and large has fallen along political lines, right? Mm-hmm. So like if you're somebody who identifies as a Democrat, as a liberal, as a progressive, like you are falling on on a side that is perhaps similar to what I've echoed here today, which is one that is very uh, empathetic, believes Dr. Blasey Ford, um, thinks that Brett Kavanaugh should not have been confirmed and all these sorts of things, right? On the flip side, if you're somebody who leans uh, conservative or identifies as a Republican, that you believe somehow that the that the experience was unfair to Mr. Kavanaugh, that he should absolutely be confirmed and all of those sorts of things, mm-hmm. right? And it feels like it got incredibly politicized. I will say what was interesting was to note from whether it was polls or whether it was uh, stories that were coming out in the news, that that dynamic was, I think, exclusive to men. Women on the flip side, when it comes to this story, we saw a pretty sizable majority, whether they were Republican or Democrat, definitely believe Dr. Blasey Ford, think that Mr. Kavanaugh should not be confirmed, or at the very least that there should be a more thorough investigation into the accusations and not just the week-long extension of an investigation, which really, I think it's pretty clear that like there's not a lot that could have been unearthed. Even with the FBI, Like there's not a lot that could have been unearthed in one week. Right. right? So I think 
It fell on political lines, which sucks because there's a really powerful conversation that could have been had here and needs to be had, right? So, so you asked, what, what would I call men to do? I would call all men to sit down, whether it's one, taking some time for yourself and really take a step back and say like, okay, let me assume for a second that even if I am a good guy with good intentions, and for the most part, I am on that pursuit, I am on that path, where have I done some really shitty things, right? Let's assume for a second I have contributed in some way, shape, or form to a culture of sexual violence, to a culture that demeans, objectifies, harms women. Let me assume that I have done something there. Where might it have happened? Mm -hmm. And to take that time and think about that, I think that kind of reflection is necessary, number one. I think it then goes into the next step, which is like we need to be in conversation with each other as all men around like, why, why is this happening and why do we continue to allow this kind of culture to happen, right? And, and how can we start to make shifts? This is what we were doing with our guys yesterday in the Men Up Leadership mm -hmm. team meeting, mm -hmm. right? Like we got to be in conversation about like where are we doing great things? Where are we being good men? And where are we doing some shitty things still, right? Because we have been a system of this patriarchy as it exists in the United States. We have all been a part of it for however many years we've been here. It is a system that has existed for 300 plus years. When you think about patriarchy in the world, it is a system that if you look back to even some of the biblical books or books of religion, like patriarchy is at play, it is a system that has existed in some way, shape or form for our entire existence, mm -hmm. right? So like how, how can we start to transform it? How can we make it more equitable? How can we make it fairer and more empowering? Let's have those conversations about where we as individuals, we as groups have not created that experience for people and made a disempowering experience and how can we start to shift that? I think that's the work that all of us need to be doing. Last point is not wait for our leaders at the top, which spoiler alert, our vast majority of them straight white men that come from a privileged place to begin with. Let's not wait for them to make the changes or signal a shift in our culture. Mm -hmm. We need to do that work, all of us as men. We can't wait for them as leaders because guess what? they're not gonna do that work in the amount of time we hope they will or need them to. Yeah, that like, yeah. the point about waiting for, for leaders, right? It it brings me back to our, our, our meeting yesterday with, with, the, with the leadership team with Men Up. And it, it made me think about the space that we created to talk about our feelings and, and our emotions and the way our bodies felt, right? Uh, and then linking that to some really real things that men experience because they don't feel like those spaces exist for them, right? And so it's interesting for us to really begin as men to own what's happening, to own our role in it, and to not wait for other people, whether that's like people at the top who aren't going to move in the way we need them to move, uh, history has bared that out, or even like waiting for women, right, to like do our work for us. Right, like there has to come a point where we own our stuff, right? And as a result of owning our stuff, we create the spaces that we need to, at the very least, have these conversations, right? There's this interesting dynamic, and this is a point you bring up a lot of times, of like how have we as men been victims of a system of patriarchy, mm -hmm. which is true. Like we need to identify those spaces, and we cannot exist and persist in those spaces like that we have somehow been victims in this thing that's been unfair mm -hmm. because and this was this came out in the Kavanaugh hearings 
that was part of what he was doing and what senators were doing in favor of him that were trying to push him through the confirmation was identify how he's been a victim of this process and of this system at play, right? And it creates this dynamic of like, oh, well, since they've both been victims of something, they sort of cancel each other out or like they're both victims. And that's bullshit. Like that's so incredibly unfair and obviously so incredibly dismissive and is not helpful, right? right? Yes, we have been victims of a system that is unfair to all people, but we have to, as men, wherever we lie in the spectrum of power, so for me as a white straight man, like the epitome of power and privilege in our country, how can we move forward and take action for ourselves to get out of whatever that space of disempowerment mm -hmm. is, but also do that work for other people that have been disempowered, people that aren't like us. Right. Right? How can we move forward in that way? Because if we just exist in this whole victimhood thing, nothing's going to happen. And in fact, the inverse of what we need is going to happen. And we see that in this, this Kavanaugh confirmation, which is like an incredibly polarized uh, and politicized experience that didn't deal with sexual violence as a real big problem in our society. And then we have movements like, we have these movements of like the Proud Boys and these other movements that are identifying really like groups that are a majority white straight men and somehow how they've been a victim in our society, which is just a ludicrous idea, right? But if we stay in victimhood, like that's what happens. Hmm. It's so, it, whoo, 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 yeah. It's so crazy to think, right? Um, yeah, I, I am a straight cisgendered man, but I am not white, right? And so what, but what's interesting is to see one, uh, where my power as a straight cisgendered man is obvious, right? Is incredibly obvious. And two, where that victimhood has shown up specifically like in my life and in my community, right? And how in places where I know I have power and I know we have power. I've just seen so many examples of that, right? What it looks like to stay in, to stay. I know what it's like for me to stay in victimhood uh, and for that to be incredibly unhelpful, specifically actually to women in my life. Oh man, I'm playing back the tape. <laughs> yeah. I'm playing back the tape right now, Shabu. If I am serious about doing any kind of work, I cannot stay in that place of yeah. victimhood. Yeah, it's, it's one thing for me to be like, there are places where patriarchy does not like hurts me, right? It's another thing for me to say that patriarchy, as a man, that patriarchy oppresses me, right? Like that is the false statement. <laughs> Whew! We went deep. That was good. We did the work today. Did we do the work? We did a little bit of work. We did a little bit of work. We did a little bit of work. We're about to do some more work <laughs> right are. after this podcast. We are. We are. So thank you all for joining us in the Men Up podcast. Remember, if you're interested in listening to more episodes of this podcast, you can check it out on the Men Up website, which is at themenup.com, or you can find us on Apple Podcasts. Just search Men Up. Please like, rate, and share it. Also, you can find us on Instagram at the underscore men underscore up, and Facebook as well. Just search Men Up. And finally, I am Christian Shabu. I am George Black. We appreciate y'all.